Thanks to Cabbage for supporting Industry Focus. Get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, October the 16th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm joined by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. I'm Shannon Jones. Todd, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing well, and as always, uh, looking forward to a, a packed show today with all sorts of great healthcare uh, updates. Oh, yeah, we're going from small biotechs to big health insurance and big pharma as well. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, but let's kick things off with a company we actually talked about last week in our Beaten Down Biotechs episode. Certainly check it out if you haven't. Um, but that company was RegenX Bio, that is ticker symbol RGNX. And last week, we mentioned that RegenX Bio was going to be presenting updated data for its drug candidate, RGX314, um, at a medical conference in San Francisco. Well, we got that data last Friday. Todd, before we get into the specifics and what we saw, let's just do a quick recap for any new listeners out there. What exactly is RGX314 and what is it attempting to solve for? All right, so this is a gene therapy, and the goal here is to design a better way to treat patients with something called wet-stage age-related macular degeneration, and we'll call that just AMD. And AMD, wet AMD, is uh, not uncommon. It's pretty common, especially uh, as people get older and live longer. Uh, We have, if you look at the statistics of this, you've already got over one, between one and two million people with wet AMD um, in the United States, I think three million maybe within the developed markets. And it's a multi-billion dollar blockbuster indication already that's being um, addressed by Regeneron, which has a product called Ilia, and um, Novartis, which has a product called Lucentis. And both of those drugs are um, four billion plus per year uh, medications that people take to try and inhibit a protein and tackle well, what really is a a breakdown in the macula is what it really it negatively impacts the ability for people to see. They end up going, you know, legally blind in their uh, in their senior years. And th- while Lucentis and Ilia work pretty well, uh, unfortunately, um, they need to be taken very regularly. I mean, you can take these things monthly. They can be every eight weeks. They can be every quarter. Um, you know, I've had some eye stuff lately that I've had to take care of. And, you know, I was there for multiple Thursdays in a row talking to this really nice gentleman next to me. He was there every week for an injection. So, I, I mean, it's there's 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 definitely a room for improvement here. And what Regenex Bio hopes to do is to provide a kind of a, a one-and-done option. So by delivering a specific, using its own vectors to deliver a very specific, um, um, I guess, way of being able to inhibit that protein that is long lasting. And the data that was expected um, really, I think, shined through. I think it was pretty solid. I think I think that the market reacted negatively because there was some competitive concerns from from another company who who reported numbers in wet AMD as well. But I think on balance, the the data was pretty good. So Shannon, if you want to 
if you want to dive into that, we can go right ahead. Absolutely. So looking at the data, um, and this was for an ongoing phase one, two, a trial in RGX 314. And what they saw, basically the majority of patients, 75% or nine out of 12 in one of the cohorts actually no longer needed injections. And those are those standard of care options that you mentioned, Todd, um, basically called anti-VEGF injections. And as you mentioned, they do have to be taken on an ongoing basis. And so it was those patients no longer needed the injections, but we also saw improvement in vision and retinal thickness, uh, two important points. They also released data related to another cohort. This was cohort number three. 50% of patients, or half of them, haven't needed those ongoing standard of care injections in the one and a half years since taking RGX314. And we also saw no serious side effects I want to go back to the injection piece just to put some of this data in context. You mentioned that these patients often have to go to the doctor's office, get these injections into the eye on an ongoing basis. And really, in only about a third of these patients, is there any sort of improvement? Really, it's about stabilizing the disease. It's slowing the progression. But when you think about it just from, um, I guess, a patient perspective, there's a compliance component that I think is one of the reasons why you don't see, um, I guess, longer-term durability or even improvement, but it's because patients don't want to have to go into the office and get these injections on an ongoing basis. So to see data like this, where not only the majority of patients in cohort number five no longer need the injections, and we're seeing the durability of response, is actually quite impressive. I think so. And I think importantly, you're seeing that improvement in vision as well. So it's okay, I'm maintaining my vision, but I'm also seeing some improvements in that cohort five, which was the one that was had the shortest timeline that they were being able to evaluate. I think most of the I think all the patients were able to be have at least five months of evaluated period. So 75% um, injection free at five to six month mark. The average improvement was four letters. And for people who responded, so the nine patients who responded, the average improvement was five letters on an, on an eye chart. And, you know, that's not, that's, that's pretty significant. I mean, you've, you've now removed the need to have these regular injections, but importantly, you've also restored some independence and some freedom uh, for the senior taking this because they can see better and feel maybe a little bit more confident. Um, around their home and, and and you know when they go out and about, um, you know that you mentioned that this is a multi cohort. That's because it was kind of dose ranging. We're trying to figure out the the magic amount to be able to to give patients. I think it's great that we haven't seen any serious side effects from increasing these doses, and we're still seeing we're seeing potentially even greater efficacy. I mean, even in cohort three, though, you still saw a really really big improvement in letters overall at the one and a half year mark. And uh, I think I want to say it was nine letters. So it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not, you know, over time, the letter improvement for this cohort five uh, gets better or not. That's something to keep watching from here. Um, this drug is not anywhere near uh, approval yet. You know, they're, they're thinking about starting a phase 2B trial soon. Um, so you know you're going to need to wait for one year data here. You're going to have to get the two B trial through. You know maybe at the, at that point um, they can sort of file to, to to get this on the market. But we're still talking a few years out. Yeah, and they also have um, a program where they're looking to study RGX three one four 
in diabetic retinopathy. Um, that'll be a phase two trial that's scheduled to start toward the end of this year. Uh, but Todd, I mean, holistically looking at the data, things look pretty good for Regenx Bio, but we actually saw uh, the stock drop about, I think it was about 11% um, when they released the data. Uh, one of our followers, listeners on Twitter, Jonathan, uh, thanks so much for for tuning in with us. But he had asked, like, what in the world is going on? This looks pretty good to me. Todd, what can you tell us about, I guess, the market's reaction? Because it wasn't just about Regenx Bio here. Yeah, I, it's possible that some of the reaction was to some competing data that came out of Adverum Biotechnologies. Uh, symbol there, I think, is ADVM. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Shannon. That's correct. Um, okay, great. Yeah, a relatively small company, and they're conducting a phase one study for their own gene therapy um, that works similarly. And they reported that of the six patients that uh, they have dosed in that trial, um, at a median 34 weeks, there were none of them required anti-VGGF um, medication, so Lucentis or, or Ilia. So a lot of people may have looked at that headline and said, wow, you know, at the 34-week, 100%, six, all six of the six uh, didn't need to take these injections. That theoretically, in their view, um, is better, right? I mean, it sounds better on the headline. I think that once investors digested some additional data, though, from the trials and some additional information, realized just how limited in scope that trial is for Adverum, I think that um, you know they they kind of responded by by bidding Regenex Bio back up a little bit. Uh, but it's certainly something we're going to keep an eye on. We're going to watch Adverum closely from here. Absolutely. So you've got a uh, dueling gene therapy battle going on here, which I have to say, Todd, uh, to even be having a conversation about two potential gene therapies uh, that could not only stop the progression of the disease, but actually improve quality of life is just incredible to me. The innovation and the science and just where we're moving um, in the overall healthcare landscape is just amazing. But a lot to watch because just like you said, it's still early on. Yes, it seems like the stuff of science fiction, but it's here. So with that, let's uh, let's turn and shift gears because we also got third quarter earnings from healthcare titan United Health Group. That's ticker symbol UNH, and that is parent company of the nation's largest health insurer, United Health. Uh, Todd, I know health insurance stocks this year have been a little bit beaten up, especially as we head into election season. But uh, just in terms of earnings for United Health, how did they fare? I thought it was an incredible reaction in the market. I don't know the last time I saw United Healthcare actually rally 8% in one day. And I think the excitement was you know, driven by the fact that they beat both on the top and the bottom line. And maybe uh, some of the commentary in the transcript seemed to think, okay, listen, we're, you know, we're we're pivoting and we can handle whatever the political uh, out- outcome happens to be, is, is basically the, the message they were trying to convey, if you read between the lines, in the transcript. As far as the numbers go, uh, like I mentioned, they beat on both the top and the bottom line. They reported revenue of $60.35 billion. That was up 6.7% year over year. That was a beat of $510 million. Their net margin did tick up a little bit overall as a company. It rose 0.3% to 5.9%. Again, insurers are not insurance business is not a very high margin business, uh, so that's that's solid. And their non-gap earnings per share, so the just earnings per share, was ahead of expectations by 12 cents. 
they reported $3.88. So that brought the year-to-date revenue to $181.3 billion, up 8% year-over-year. And importantly, Shannon, they also issued some guidance that looked pretty good on the bottom line as well. Exactly. They raised full-year guidance to $14.90 to $15 a share. That's about $0.15 higher than some of the previous forecasts. But I think, Todd, when you kind of peek under the hood a little bit, um, of course, you've got United Health, their insurance platform. But really, I think the star of the show this quarter was the Optum Health Services business. Looking just, you know, high level across each of their business lines, you saw double-digit revenue growth, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, Optum is the star, no question. Insurance business is mature. It's not going to grow. It's dependent a lot, largely on premium increases to grow that business. I mean, how much lower can uh, unemployment rate fall? So, you know, they get a lot of business in, on the insurance side and the, um, serving uh, commercial, so company uh, uh, offered insurance plans. They do a lot of business in Medicare and they do a lot of business in Medicaid. We can talk about that in a second. And then, of course, they've got the Optum business, which is kind of their high growth business. And they have different components within Optum. They have Optum RX, which is their pharmacy or their drug fulfillment arm. Um, they have Optum Insight, which is kind of a data analytics play. And then they have Optum Health, which is you know where they provide care and behavior health services to, to um to patients. And those businesses are growing, you know, very quickly. I think uh, we saw better than 13% year over year growth in Optum. And we saw, like I said, about four, four and a half percent, something like that in the insurance business. And I think, um, you know, if you look at the, the top line numbers and you're wondering why they don't add up, okay, so the insurance business was 48.1 billion in revenue and the Optum business was 28.8 billion. That obviously is greater than the 60 billion headline number. That's because there's some offsets between those two businesses. So Optum provides some services to the insurance business, and you got to offset those or even them out, net them out when you're reporting the, the top line number. Yeah. I think uh, one thing in uh, listening to the call, one area to watch, especially heading into 2020, um, in UnitedHealth, they do tend to be pretty conservative with their guidance, but they uh, did say they expect adjusted earnings per share growth to be around the lower end of their typical 13 to 16% goal. Um, and that's not including the impact of any sort of return of the Affordable Care Act health insurance tax being reinstated that was suspended. Um, and they basically said that tax would affect EPS by about 50 cents, with 35 cents of that weighing down results into 2020. Um, I think that'll be something to watch, but you know, for a company, and you said it very well, Todd, they've been able to adapt um, really to any sort of political climate, any sort of healthcare climate. I think the one, one other big question mark is, of course, all of the talk about Medicare for all. Mm, mm, yeah, I mean, the, Medicare has been a very, very big component um, or, or part of their story for growth. I mean, yes, the employer and individual market uh, did well. They did five hundred fifty. Uh, they did fourteen billion, sorry, in premium revenue from that business. That was that was up five hundred fifty-seven million, and they added about one million lives in coverage. The employer individual market, um, but you know, if you look at the Medicare and retirement business. Uh, revenue was up double digits, ten percent, almost two billion to twenty twenty point seven billion. So they're making more money in the Medicare business than they are in the employer business. And you know we've got a larger aging uh, 
population because of baby boomers retiring. And you're seeing a, a greater and greater push towards Medicare Advantage because you have things like you know caps to your out-of-pocket spending, which you don't have in traditional Medicare. I think there are some, some signs, some cautionary flashing yellow signs I think investors need to be worried about. I think you know, the 8% rally may have been some short covering. Um, rather than necessarily people going out and saying, "Okay, yeah, I'm going to bet on this long term," because we do have some, 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 you know, we have some threats. I think if you're if you're going out and you're buying the stock, you have to kind of assume that if um, you know the Democrats who are running on Medicare for all, if they win, then the way that it'll finally eventually shake out won't be a traditional Medicare, but a Medicare adva- opening a Medicare Advantage up. To everybody, if that were to happen, that would be great for United Healthcare, right? So you, that's one assumption that you might have to make. I think the other assumption you have to make might make is that um, we also remain fully employed, right? Because obviously, if if unemployment starts to to rise because of any kind of ec- economic deterioration, then you're going to see their uh, employer business start to contract. And then you've got to watch closely the Medicare business as well, you know, because the Medicare business actually uh, is down. Year over year, um, you know, it fell to ten point seven billion. It fell about three hundred and eighty million dollars year over year, and that's because they're covering less people. And you know, part of that is is by design because they exited one one state where they they lost a bid or chose not to participate. Um, but it's also be you know they've cited the fact that the eligibility requirements have tightened, and as a result, less people are being able to uh, participate in the Medicaid program. So, you know, I think if you're buying it, you're assuming that Medicaid's going to stabilize, that Medicare Advantage is going to end up, you know, uh, being probably the, the the best vehicle for Medicare for all. There's still some question marks. Yeah, still some question marks and a lot to watch. But on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking about another titan in healthcare, this time Pfizer, and the latest data from its drug in a pipeline that could have blockbuster potential. But first, a quick word from our friends at Cabbage. Managing inventory, covering payroll, and doing a hundred other things before lunch is just an average day when you own a small business. Your time is valuable, and getting the money you need shouldn't take up all of it. And that's why Cabbage created a simple, modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. Cabbage's application process is online, literally takes just minutes to complete and get a decision. And the great thing is, if your business qualifies, you can access the amount that you need immediately and withdraw more funds whenever you need that extra capital. Cabbage does have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and they've provided over 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. As someone who's watched a close family member build a business from the ground up, I can attest having access to funds to even start, let alone scale, is one of the biggest hurdles a small business can face. But you can get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank member FDIC. All right, let's dive into Pfizer. Pfizer, and that's ticker symbol PFE, announced results from one of its phase three clinical trials, uh, affectionately called the Jade Mono One. That's pretty fancy, Todd, I think, uh, for its <laughs> drug abrocitinib for severe atopic dermatitis at a recent medical conference in Spain. Uh, Pfizer is basically hoping to get its drug across the finish line to become the first oral once daily treatment option 
for patients. And this is a, in a market where Dupexent, this is a blockbuster thanks to the likes of Regeneron and Santa Fe, where they basically dominate. Um, before we get into the data, Todd, let's just start. What exactly is atopic dermatitis? Eczema. Eczema. So that's how most people know of it. So, you know, it's a skin condition that's relatively uh, common. It's autoimmune disease uh, caused by inflammation. Symptoms include retinas, itching, hardening, oozing, and crusting. It's pretty common. It affects about 10% of adults and up to 20% of children worldwide. So because of its size, it is a blockbuster indication. Right now, as you said, the, the superstar, if you will, in, the, in, in that indication is Dupixin, which won approval back in 2017 and is selling at a $2 billion per year run rate exiting the second quarter. And I think the sales of Dupixin had doubled in the past year thanks to some label expansions and in, in ongoing uptake. So this is a very high-value uh, market for Pfizer to be targeting with abrocitinib. And the data itself, Shannon, I think matches up pretty good. It, it's 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 solid. I mean, obviously, we're gonna have to, we're gonna get full data from um, two. There's multiple studies that that are being conducted. So most recently, they reported the phase two results hit the endpoints, secondary and primary endpoints, and they're gonna release more information into those trial results at an upcoming conference. Uh, last week, they also did report, though, the full data set from the first of, um, I think there's three trials total, the first of the trials. And that data, um, we can look at and say, okay, well, you know, that also matched up. So maybe that's a good indicator of how the second trial did. And if you look at the response rates in patients, I, you know, I, it looks, I, I hate to, because you can't do apples to apples comparison. You shouldn't with trials. You know, it's not a head-to-head trial. But that's not going to stop anyone from looking at these results and saying, okay, well, you know, if the response rates are significantly lower than they would be for Dubixent, then, you know, why even bother? If they're significantly higher, then maybe, you know, this is a good alternative to Dubixent. I think the results came in pretty much in line with what we saw at Dupixent during its trials. Yeah, I agree. I think two things stood out to me in reviewing the data. Um, in Dupixent um, and Pfizer's drug, I will say, have slightly different modes of, of action here. Um, Dupixent, of course, already on the market, targets uh, basically a protein IL-4 and IL-13, while Pfizer targets those plus one called IL-31. Um, and IL-31 is the one that's really believed to be behind the severe itchiness. And this is where we're starting to talk about quality of life. And again, as you said, Todd, we can't compare this apples to apples because it wasn't a head-to-head trial. Um, but you know, after 12 weeks, 57.2% of people on the 200 milligram, milligram dose, that was the higher dose, saw at least a four-point improvement on the puritis or itch scale, as I like to call it. And those improvements actually started within two weeks. If you look at the prior Dupixent trials, um, we were looking at 36%, 41%, and 59% for 16-week rates. I think this makes Pfizer's drug pretty competitive, especially when it comes to the itch. There was also something else that stood out to me, and it was the safety question marks. I think all in all, I think um, you know both drugs seem to be pretty in line with each other. But I think if there's anything that could hinder commercial viability, it could be the safety here. Um, in Pfizer's trial, we did see 20% of patients who did have that higher dose experience nausea. Um, there was also nasopharyngitis. That was an 11% um, 
adverse event rate and also headache at 9.7%. And they did see a rate of serious adverse events at 3.2% in both the 200 milligram dose and 100 milligram dosing arms. And that was things like inflammatory bowel disease, throat infections, asthma, dehydration. Um, I think if this drug gets approved, my question mark is just how much how much market share can they reasonably gain if they have a weaker safety profile, even if efficacy is pretty much the same across the board? Um, you know, with the JAK inhibitors in general, they all tend to come with some some pretty hefty safety warnings. So it wouldn't surprise me to see this, but that is the one question mark that I have with this drug. Yeah, the room, the market's big enough for multiple players, and there's certainly going to be some people who don't respond to Dibixin that therefore, if this other drug was approved, they theoretically could get prescribed that and vice versa. So I, I think that there's an opportunity for both of these, you know, to, to be meaningful drugs. Like you said, as a Regeneron shareholder, you're ask the question you're asking yourself is, okay, well, Depixin's really their fast growing drug that's really driving a lot of their growth right now, Regeneron's growth right now. Uh, how big of a threat is this? I think it's enough of a threat that you need to be paying attention, right? Because, you know, Pfizer is not to be trifled with. They're a big company with very deep pockets. And obviously, they've got a very established uh, marketing and sales department that that can can certainly get out in front of doctors and and make a compelling case for trying it instead of Dupixin. So you're going to want to keep keep your eye on that. You're want you want to see the 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 uh, second trial. Uh, what those actual full data set was from that. We won't have that until again up, an upcoming conference. We only have the one. Uh, trial, the first trial results to parse. Um, so we'll take a look at that. And maybe maybe we'll get back together and we'll update investors at that point as well so we can keep our uh, keep everybody have tabs on this. Absolutely. And don't forget, you've also got AbbVie um, in the mix with their own drug that is also being studied as well. But if all goes well, it looks like Pfizer could use the data from all of their trials to file for approval sometime next year. So a lot to watch in this space. Um, I love when I see competition heating up, um, especially just with good science. But in terms of industry-focused healthcare show for this week, that'll do it for Todd and I. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. Full on.